preparing to stream. We are live. It is 10.30 a.m. No. no, it's not. It's 11 a.m. on the West Coast. It's 2 p.m. on the East Coast. This is Value After Hours. We're back after taking July 4th off or July 5th, I guess it was. Here with Jake Taylor and Bill Brewster. As always, what's happening, fellas? It's good to be back. Missed you guys. Yeah, we had a week off, didn't we? Haven't done that for a little while. Yeah. I'm going to be gone, I think, for the next two weeks. I'm pretty sure. But I don't know. I'm going to be (laughs) driving around. I don't really know my schedule, but I will follow up. But I will miss you if that is the case. Santa Monica, California. Oh, locals. Oh, Chapel Hill. Redshield, what's up? So how's everybody's portfolios? Everybody uh, having a, having a spectacular 2022? Yeah. I mean, it's not at zero yet. It's going there, <laughs> but it's not there yet. Oh, it's, uh, I'll check nope. in on some Nowhere of those positions. Hide. Everything's getting cheaper. Woo. Turns out cash wasn't trash. <laughs> they always say that. Oh, I got Finland. Somehow. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, the... the Cash isn't trash, but it's buys eight point five percent less than it did the year before. So, well, yeah, it buys <laughs> a lot more stocks. Yeah, buys a lot more stocks. It buys eight point five percent less of groceries, probably more. Uh, but it buys twenty twenty two percent more uh, S and P five hundred than it did. I think we've got a we've got someone just remind we've got a CPI print. Is it tomorrow or this afternoon or something like that? Not, I mean, who cares? But. The, the, the White House is already saying it, it's going to be a bad one. So, really, put on your crash helmets for tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I thought that the commodities had all rolled over and we were heading back down. Well, this is June, I guess. Uh, okay. They're talking about maybe lagging. Since the start of July. I don't know. Lagging data. Got it. Yeah. It's a good thing I don't look at that stuff that much. Otherwise, I'd be really confused. <laughs> I just had a look at the sector breakdown of what's been working this year. And it just uh, shows like a bunch of mods. The, <laughs> the only thing, yeah, it was just a big skull and crossbones. Yeah. The only thing, the only thing that was there that was working was energy and energy's. How's energy doing last few weeks? Not gonna, not gonna work. <laughs> oh, this is a tough market. Well, to all the people that said uh, last year, you know, the economy can be okay and the market can get screwed. I think that they are being proved pretty correct. Mm. Did you say that? I think you might have said that. I was not one. I people may have popped into my DMs and told me that. I may have ripped it from them, but I was. Would you would you characterize the econ- would you characterize the economy as being in good shape? Fuck yes. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> jobs, I think we're gonna find high, out. jobs higher, wages higher. Like for the on first an, time, nominal or real. <laughs> Dude, I mean, look, if people are <laughs> people are employed and they're making more money. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know what people want. Uh, we'll see in two to three years whether or not uh, all these scares. I tell you what, I'm still in team transitory. We'll Ooh. see. I think we're going to find out that we've, we're already in a recession in a few. You know, whenever they you know, look back, I don't know how long the look back period is, but but off what base? <laughs> Like if you if you just shoot all that money into the economy and then the economy slows down or enters like a technical recession, like I, I is this like really the end of the world here or 
is Wall Street just like freaking out because their stocks are down? I don't know. I I think it's probably probably close to uh, the latter. Well, I saw uh, somebody said that the this is likely to be a an economy that's murdered by the Fed because uh, inflation is going to get away. Like there, there's a few little charts going around that show that ordinarily the Fed would get to this point and start kind of backing off, but they can't because uh, um, inflation's still so high. So if it's transitory, if it comes back, then that might change that analysis. We'll all find out. I think we've been extremely shitty at predicting anything since COVID started, and I continue to think we're shitty. I mean, not since COVID started. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (sighs) I would say it runs back earlier than that. I think everything is transitory. Well, on a long enough time time horizon, life is. Heat death of the universe. Yeah. All transitory, baby. That's that's when Batty's going to start working again. That needs to be on a t-shirt. I do think higher for higher for longer after this uh, does does make some sense. So maybe I don't actually believe in transitory like I say I do, but uh, higher what rates? No, I th- I mean I think that uh, I think that there's a reasonable argument to be made that like when you when commodity co- companies on average were able to shore up their balance sheets like they were, there's just less incentive to sell. At you mean like all the ga- gas station operators? <laughs> Yeah, well, those Printing guys. Money. Yeah, those guys are. <laughs> Where are the gas station owners' yachts? I, I guess what I, I guess what I really think is, I think like if you uh, look at surveys of how the economy is doing, no matter what, if a Democrat's in office, Republicans bitch. If a Republican's in office, Democrats bitch. It happens all the time. Wall Street, I would assume, on average, leans Republican. So, by definition, I don't think Wall Street is the person to ask about the economy. Then I think Democrats are kind of like, this guy might be senile. Uh, so they're not super amped about things. Plus, they probably don't get enough liberal policies because they're getting blocked. So they're probably upset with that. Uh, and then you got the independents that are reading about inflation all the time and they're freaking out. So I, I think, uh, you know, to we'll you, see. there seems to be this idea that I see circula- circulating around Twitter that like you, you just talk yourself in a recession. Like there's no actual. There's no thing that happens. Nothing just, to fear, but fear itself. Yeah, a vibe session is what it's been referred yeah, to. I believe. Yeah, a vibe session. What do you think of that? I believe in reflexivity. I, I think so that there's. Yes. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I think that the, I don't. I don't know that. Uh, I think yes. I think collective groupthink can create a recession. Yeah, but it also pushes the other way too. Like these are just natural things. It's almost as if you should just let the system find its own equilibrium. <laughs> That's that kind of talk won't get you elected to any no Federal Reserve boards anyway. You're never going to Davos thinking like that, mate. No, that's not a Davos kind of interventionist uh, mentality. Yeah, Inter- interventionista. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're doing the right thing. Gotta you raise your... rates. Real estate was gonna fucking go nuts. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta slow it down. Going to, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I think they had to raise rates. I'm, I'm glad they did. Uh, so now we get the joy of everybody discounting everything at one percent, going to wherever people are discounting it now. One point five. I don't know what's uh, that. <laughs> Three. I mean, where? What's Pepsi? Good results out of Pepsi. Right. Top line up 11%. American Airlines, world's shittiest air carrier. <laughs> Terrible at operations. 
terrible. There's Hitting a lot of competition guidance. there. Uh, yeah, but in the US, they take the cake. So uh, I saw Jim Chambers said about those Pepsi earnings that they'd sold 1% more unit volume and it was 11%, you know, whatever the difference is. Price. Take price. It. And then, you know, on a real basis, that's like negative something well, else. I don't know that maybe, maybe we're at 12% inflation, but I think the point is they can raise price 11% and not have volumes fall. Mm. I've got an interesting- I mean, I think that's kind of interesting. Sugar is a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah, it is. Just, just to go back to our- uh, uh, the, the energy as a, as a part of the economy. In 2010, ExxonMobil was still the biggest company by market cap in the States or in the world, rather. Oh, sorry, in, in the States. And then it just disappears from the list by 2020. Got to go. Kramer said you can't buy oil. Uninvestable. Oh, really? Still? I don't no, know. no, no. He says oil's going no, I want to go load the boat. I think he said, he's, now he said it's gonna fall, he's going to fall back and then take off. Something like that. So now I'm you know really what's pissed. not going to happen. If you're long I'm really energy, sad. You're like, please not. Please, Kramer. No. I'm telling you, there is a, there is a clip. Unless my mind is really misremembering, but I do not think it is. There's a clip where he said, "I'm pretty sure I talked about it on Value After Hours." It was 2020, and we were like just starting to reopen sports again. And he was like, "You got to buy DraftKings. No one's buying it because of earnings. You got to buy it." And he was basically like. He's just, uh, it's just like a blatant Momo trade. And I actually kind of love the honesty of that comment. Mm. I think he said no one's buying it because of fundamentals. I think that was the actual quote. But whatever it is, if somebody has more time than me, I've tried to he's look at it. He's a momentum investor, right? He's, that's, what he's, that's what he's doing. Certainly seems so. I don't know the results of his charitable trust. Not factor momentum, just. Uh... Yeah, just vibe, vibe, momentum, vibe. Yeah, yeah. vibing. Trending, He's definitely doing momentum. major vibing. Yes, I don't remember Buffett ever saying bye, bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Buffett didn't get a TV show either, though. That's true. I'll tell you what, he's saying that right now to Occidental. Whew. How long before he takes it private? Uh, yeah, do you need to? I don't know. Uh, he's going to. Dude is buying it as if all he wants to do is own that company. Every time, every time it hits 55 to 59. Shout out to Francisco for putting the thought in my head. But I think he's right. He's quite the industrialist. The other, the other weird one is, uh, is, Musk, is Musk over with Twitter? Is that, I mean, he's- Now you're kind of making me According upset. to him. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because I'm, I, I have been a little bit uh, emotionally heated about this whole situation. I think Ooh. some of it is share. that- uh, I know a couple people over there and, uh, the other part of it is like, you know, I'm a little bit, um, perturbed <laughs> by people making excuses for a guy who like, I think when you look at the facts that actually happened, it's pretty obvious that him and his buddy thought buddies thought that he was getting a steal they all were like, oh, the Twitter board's incompetent. You have to do this deal. How do you have the poison pill? You got to give it to Musk. These guys don't even own shares. All these fucking guys out in Silicon Valley talking their shit. Then they get the deal done. And then the market tanks. And then they realize that maybe they don't understand valuation in today's world. And then the bot thing comes out and they're like, oh, but the bots. You're going to tell me that Elon Musk, the world's biggest power user of Twitter, didn't understand that there might be a bot issue. Yeah, that seems thin, doesn't he it? He tweets 
like a crack fiend. He looks at his replies. He's scrolling his replies. You look at his answers. He's answering people. You're going to tell me he has no clue what he's buying. He waves due diligence. Yeah, he refers bananas. to it as the most seller-friendly contract he can put together. And now he's all of a sudden done? Fuck you. You're, you're living by this unacquainted idea that the rule of law is still a thing. <laughs> is he trying to retry it? I think so. At a low press. Yeah, I think so. Sure. I mean, that's, that, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. <laughs> so the bid Unless, is 5420 right now, yeah. right? Because he's got 420 in there. So the next bid's at like 4690 or, or something 20, like that. $4.26. I mean, that's the thing, $42. right? He like, $42.69. He, he, he like, uh, he like eight buys a, style, a, a company with a meme bid because he thinks it's funny. It would have been funny. I, th- yeah. I still think it was, I think, I think it's kind of, I mean, I don't know about the, I, I I don't know enough about the valuation, but I thought I thought it was probably pretty good value where he got it. Like I thought you could you could run it a little bit more sensibly and it would do quite well, monetize a little bit better. I thought it was kind of an an obvious what about deal the, for him. The theory. I tell you that- what, he's still got a lot of chances to because there's a specific performance uh, part of that document, and I would a hundred percent be asking for that to be enforced. What about the theory that it was just he wanted to unload some Tesla shares? That's, I, I, yeah, I, I, I see that too, but that's gee, that's a lot of effort for like make it so. <laughs> Wouldn't you negotiate a bit harder? Wouldn't you negotiate that deal a bit harder and like make it? I think he's got a billion dollar break for you, right? And he well, sold but, eight billion dollars in Tesla stock. Yeah, but the break I fee, I'm pretty sure that was a billion dollars. I'm pretty sure that that was contingent upon financing, which has been fully uh, secured. Now, what I don't know, uh, and if a lawyer is listening, please hit me up, even though I know it won't be legal advice. Uh, I don't know if the the funding commitments of the lenders, like let's say that this becomes like a long uh, litigation, which I don't think it will, but let's say it does, does that get the lenders off the hook? And if the lenders are off the hook, then is Elon off the hook? Mm. I think with Twitter responding yesterday and saying like, no, we're still going to seek specific performance and neither you or your lenders are off the hook. I assume you have to serve them properly, but I I would imagine that it sort of stays the commitments, but I don't know. Corey Hofstein's got a good line here. He said, I like Matt Levine's take. The more bots there are, the more undervalued Twitter is because the earnings per user are higher than expected and there's more room (laughs) for penetration. (laughs) There you go. I mean, then you get into this. Well, what if he just doesn't? What if he just doesn't listen to the court? Like, I mean, what world are we living in right now? If we are living in a world where Elon Musk can honestly just like disobey a court order with funds actually secured, you mean like Twitter Sitter and all the other stuff that's been disobeyed? Look, I'm just saying, if the Delaware court says you have to have specific performance here, and he just says no, and that's okay. The entire stock market should re-rate, I don't know, 20, 30% downwards. Easy. He can't ignore it. He can't ignore it. It'll be, it's, it's in four, it's too much money. It's too, but, uh, but just to, to, that, that doesn't discount some sort of negotiated outcome. Like that's yeah, probably no doubt. more likely outcome, right? That no doubt. If he does want it, then it gets done at a lower price. I mean, I don't, if I were them, I would not be in a real hurry to do that. I mean, a judge would really have to push me. It reminds me of um, now I I told this story on a space. So if you tuned into the space, 
forgive me, but there was this woman when we were buying this house, my wife was pregnant and this tree falls on the house, does 70 grand of damage. Okay. Now I'm out an oak tree, which is like a hundred years old and an integral part of the property and $70,000 of damage. And this woman says to me, you're going to have to close on the house. And it, and the damage is immaterial. I was like, fuck that. We're going to court. Uh, and we were, we were uh, negotiating over the escrow stuff. And her, her first settlement offer to me was she's like, and we're going to keep like 80% and uh, you get 20% of the escrow money back because you're clearly in bad faith. And the people around town were like, I wouldn't fight her. She's got deep pocket. She has this building in San Fran that funds her whole life. And she's like this crazy woman that runs around town, like bitching at everybody. She's the type of person that bought an, a, a uh, she bought a, a, a ski vacation at the kid's school at a fundraiser and then said that the accommodations were not nice enough. So she put the fund, the ski vacation back to the school <laughs> and didn't pay for it. That's the kind of woman that it no is. way. Yeah. So I was like, all right, fine. Like, let's go to court. And I sat there in front of the judge and I showed him the pictures of the damage. And I showed him the picture of the house and the guy that was married to her finally had to get on a plane and come to the court and start to actually incur pain in his life. I said to the judge, I said, I'm here for one day to actually get to a good faith settlement. After that, we're going to court. I said, I want these people to actually argue to jur- to a jury that $70,000 is immaterial. Uh, and, and I'll take it the whole way. Like, I don't care. And we ended up settling that day and I got like 80% back and they got 20. So I just think you got to bury him in discovery and make him, you got to inflict as much pain as humanly possible on him, make it such a pain in his ass. And ultimately with the specific performance clause, like he's only killing something that he may have to own. So, uh, we'll see. Those are my thoughts. Anyway, I'm very annoyed at the whole thing. It, it, he really bothers me. And meanwhile, he's having twins from some executive at his company. Like, I don't know. I know this guy is God to some, but fuck this guy. <laughs> anyway, that's how I really feel. I'm, he's doing his part to repopulate the earth. Yeah. How many kids has he got? Nine. If he was an NFL player, people would be making so much fun of him and they still are, but like he I, it's just, it's disgusting. I uh, can afford it. I guess. <laughs> I'm tapped out of three. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know him for real, but from the outside, I don't like what I see. Um, should we do a little palate cleanser? Yes. You got very worked uh, up. You got a, yeah. <laughs> got some veggies for us. I do, uh, and we'll, I'll try to move quickly since I know our, our time is uh, of the essence. Um, so I started reading this book called How the World Really Works. It's by uh, Vlaklav Smil, who is Bill Gates' favorite author. This guy's a professor, and he writes just all of these kind of material science and um, just historical analyses of you know how did humans carve out the niche that they have. And so this one is like a kind of a layman's version. Some of the other ones are super down in the weeds. This one is as well, probably by most people's standards, but, um, but I've, there's so many good 
little data points in there that I thought I would pull some out and share with you. And I might even actually turn this into a multiple segment type of thing. Um, but this first one is on specifically on uh, understanding energy. And, you know, given what's been happening in the world, it's kind of an interesting, uh, I think, interesting to go back and look at the full sweep of, of energy and what it means for humanity. Uh, so <clears throat> several hundred thousand years ago, uh, you know, something resembling kind of a human mastered the first use of what's what we called extrasomatic energy, which is basically like external to one's body. And that was when we figured out fire, right? That's we converted this, uh, you know, basically like we took chemical energy from plants and wood and turned it into light and, uh, and thermal energy and allowed us to digest food and keep us warm and scare off predators. And like, so that was the first real sort of energy capture that, that the, where this book starts. So, and then, you know, we had a long time where nothing really happened. Um, and much later you get sort of the first inanimate prime movers. So we got sails about 5,000 years ago. We got water wheels about 2000 years ago, and we got windmills about a thousand years ago. And then nothing much happens until about the year 1500. So like 500 years ago. And at that point, 90% of all useful mechanical energy is provided by animate power, which is basically humans and animals. And it's split mm. like 50, 50. Right. And so, uh, so power is the podcast. Yeah. The yeah, it's a mouse. <laughs> a little mouse on the thing. <laughs> and, and at that point, all thermal energy came from the combustion of plant fuels, like basically wood and charcoal. And then in England in the 1600s discovers coal. And by 1650, they're burning fossil carbon, which it supplied about two thirds of all of their heat. But it isn't widespread at all. It's only in England. And so but then, you know, fast forward 200 years by 1850, coal in Europe and in North America has is now supplying only about 7% of all the fuel energy uh, and half of all the useful energy, kinetic energy is still coming from animals like draft animals and then 40% from human muscles. So we're still like, it's, it's almost as if uh, the world of 1850 looks more like the world of 1600 than it does the year 2000 when it comes to energy usage. Then, you know, the world really starts to catch on. And by 1900, inanimate power, so non-animal, non-human, like steam engines, they, they're, they're supplying half of all of the mechanical energy. And by 1950, now fossil fuels are supplying three quarters of the primary energy. So, uh, you know, gasoline just, and just diesel internal combustion engines are, are now like we're basically at 80% of all mechanical energy. So um, at this point, by the year 2000, pretty much only poor people in low income countries are depending on biomass fuels like wood and straw. And animals and humans are supplying less than 5% of the mechanical energy that, that makes our modern world. So uh, Smeal's calculation showed that, that uh, there's a, there was a 60% increase in the use of fossil fuels in the 19th century, and then a 16 times gain during the 20th century. So all total, it's about a 1500 fold increase in the last 220 years. So basically, like modern civilization is built on fossil fuels. That's the takeaway. Uh, and it's even kind of more compelling when you look at it in per capita terms. So the global population in 1800 was about a billion people. In 1900, it was about 1.6 billion. In 2000, it was 6.1 billion. So we had this huge population explosion. The supply of useful energy rose from basically like five hundredths of a gigajoule per capita to in, uh, in, in 1800 to then 2.7 to then 28 
in year 2000 and now it's about 34. So wait, can you do that once more? Sorry. I am listening. I got, I got lost on the gigajoules. Yeah. So almost like rounds to zero gigajoules in 1800 per capita, 2.7 in 1900 and then 28 in the year 2000. And now it's about 34. And the last 20 years that the reason it went from 28 to 34 was really China uh, took off uh, as mm. far as energy usage. Per you say Roblox. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the average inhabitant of Earth today has at their disposal nearly 700 times more useful energy than their ancestors had in, in 1800. So and what does 34 gigajoules per capita look like? Like, let's, that's uh, uh, roughly the equivalent of per year of 800 kilograms of crude oil, which is about six barrels or one and a half tons of coal. So each per person on earth, that's, that's what the energy looks like. Um, which the, when you took it, when you look at it from the physical labor of an adult standpoint, the equivalent is about 60 adults working nonstop day and night for the average person now. And for a rich country, like where, like where we live, the number's more like 200 to 240 adults worth of energy working nonstop for you. So that's why our whole world is like, if you're living in a relatively affluent society, it's the energy that's basically replaced, you know, 200 people working on your behalf nonstop. Uh, and so uh, he, he has this really nice quote that our civilization is so deeply reliant on fossil fuels that the next transition will take much longer than most people think. Uh, so the, uh, I'm going to skip this is why Buffett's going to buy Occidental, by the way. So this, I think, is like Charlie knows this. I've heard it like him talk about it. And there's quotes from him saying like that it's going to take a long time to transition. And that's OK. Um, he I think he totally knows this. And I think that this is why he's buying Oxy hand over fist right now. I think um, this is also why I get a little bit perturbed like you do about Elon with the, you know, super green like we have to get everyone off of fossil fuels like it's just like it's untenable like the world today how you live doesn't work without fossil fuels at the moment and even something like like answering the question could a, could batteries replace jet fuel for instance okay like that's a that's a reasonable thing maybe someday but we have so far to go and here's here's why jet fuel has an energy density of 46 megajoules per kilogram which if you translate that it's like 12,000 watt hours per kilogram the best lithium ion batteries today supply less than 300. So you're looking at like 12,000 versus 300. That's a 40 fold difference. Like you'd have to have batteries get 40 times better basically uh, to, to have the same level of energy density as jet fuel does. Like that's, that's physically so far from get from point A to point B. Uh, so even if it was to, in the, in the last 30 years, battery densities tripled. So even if it tripled again, like in the next 30 years, by 2050, like we're still not even close. Right. So you're um, not thinking exponentially enough, dude. Well, maybe. Got to triple it every year from here on out. <laughs> That's true. Even if we just look at the total mass of all the fossil fuels, it's and it, by the way, it's increased 45 percent over the last 20 years, mostly from China. The annual demand for fossil carbon, just all of it added up into a big pile is about 10 billion tons per year. That's, that's five times as much as the annual harvest of all the grains on earth. And it's two times the mass of all the water that we as humans drink and use in a year. So just even if you're thinking about, like you look at the earth and you know, zoom out from space and look at it and say, oh, well, they're using 10 billion tons of whatever X is. How do you replace that 
uh, I mean, it's just like, it's a really, really difficult problem to solve. And anything that would be a, a rapid substitution is basically like totally goes against any kind of engineering or an economic reality. Um, and, and this what is about even nu nuclear, nuclear. Yeah. Nuclear's definitely should be a huge part of, of the equation. Um, you know, it has, well, what about the meltdowns, dude? <laughs> Those they've, they've almost never problem. happen. No, uh, no, you gotta, we're arguing against a boogeyman. It's like trying to disprove the recessions not here. Well, yeah. And I mean, look at France versus Germany, like what's happened. Uh, I mean, France has a lot of nuclear power and is in a much better shape than um, just to give you a sense of how reliable these things are. Like nuclear energy is one of the most reliable producers. Like it's uptimes are like 90 to 95%. Like it's when it's, it's on and it's always on uh, for comparison, even the best offshore wind units, they're on about 45% of the time. The best photovoltaic is like 25% of the time at Germany it with where they are, like their latitude, they're, they're on uptime is about 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, Well, yeah. Good mute. I had to, I had to mute you, JT. You, you're, uh, we don't even know what he's still going on. He has no idea. 12, okay. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, uh, JT, you got to sign off and come back on. There's something happening with your, with your the, audio, JT. The fucking powers that be silenced him, man. <laughs> that's messed up. It's uh, that's still going. Cut it, Jake. Oh, my God. Mute him. You got to kick him out of the room, man. You can come back. <laughs> tell him to, uh, tell him to come good. back. That was good. Did you see what Jamie Dimon said? Um Jake, if you're listening, the issue is that uh, it just keeps saying 12, 12, 12, 12, 12 over and over again. It's like a really <laughs> shitty DJ Khaled mix. Um, Jamie Dimon was like, the problem is if you push the coal industry or if you push like the oil industry to not invest at all, what you're going to have is a lot of these emerging markets. They're just going to go to coal. Like they, they don't have the luxury of saying, oh, we'll just build out like a really high cost uh, energy grid that is not reliable. Like they need power. I think the other problem is that oil is used for other things besides electricity and power too. It's it's in everything. Yeah. It's in plastic, so it's in everything. I don't Plastics, know what the solution baby. is. Uh, my buddy, he was right. Who's, yeah, that's right. My buddy who's, uh, who's a gas blender, he said what keeps him up at night is uh, the government mandating uh, like higher mileage per gallon, you know, like just getting the whole fleet more efficient. He's like, I don't worry too much about the, the transition to electric. Uh, which I thought was an interesting take. There he is. What happened? Did I get into the matrix? I yeah. dude, I th the powers that be silenced you. <sighs> Greta was she shut me down mid sentence. <laughs> how dare from you. the ocean? How dare you? Oh man! Yeah, that's how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, well, that's okay. My diatribe was probably I lost half of it. Uh, I was probably talking for an hour before I knew I was cut off. That's fine. No, you did well. I, I think the 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 TL couldn't listen is uh you know oil is pretty important. It's it's important, yeah. That that's right. So uh Buffett is buying oxy hand over fist and it and he's clearly uh An a idiot. pretty good investor. Oh. <laughs> and he's been through a few of these before. He's had some good he's had some good experience with uh with oil and some, has he ever, has he ever whiffed on it? Yeah, he has.
What, you asked what, what I th- what I think why I think he would benefit from having it private or um, I don't I don't know if he can exert the same amount of control over production and capital allocation if it's public and he's a big time shareholder, whereas if he like actually truly controls it, you know Charlie's been talking about for years like I wish that we would just slow slow production here and yeah. preserve our own barrels. Uh, if it's private, you can actually do that. But that's a national thing, isn't it? Rather than a company specific yeah but if you're the one that owns the barrels at the end make it rain baby i think charlie's idea wasn't we can send all the cash we want overseas we can send them the paper and bring in the energy yeah and then we'll be the only ones with energy left at the end of the and they'll be holding our worthless paper those suckers It seems to be list. I'm, I'm su- joke, but it's. I know. It's I'm surprised there is as much demand for it as there is. Honestly, what the dollars? Yeah. Well, the treasuries. The although I do think that China and Russia have stepped back a fair bit from that. Yes, they. Seem I mean, to be if any time that you can out. get paper with a you know two percent or three percent on it when they're running trillion dollar deficits, you got to pull the trigger. Well, two percent in an eight percent inflation world. Yeah, back up the truck. Yeah, that's right. Go for the century bond. I don't know why we didn't do that when rates were at zero. Yes, that is a little bit upsetting. Like totally Argentina the grid, buy, like fix yeah. all the roads, yeah, build all the dams, uh, whatever. Like we could have done a lot of productive stuff. Yeah, with an administration that allegedly understood debt. <laughs> Getting into it. Yeah. yeah. Not so much paying it off, but. Yeah, but they're good at restructuring. Restructuring is a big part of it. Yeah. Mm. That's as good as money, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, um, this, this general sort of stock market malaise that we're in, uh, Bill, you're usually pretty optimistic. Uh, so my, my, this is this going has been to my zero. optimistic take. <laughs> yeah. well, my optimistic take is take. that we're done by the end of Q3, beginning of Q4. That's what I was. That's what I've been saying for a little while because I thought from from the February 2021 top, which is what I'm sort of imagining actually occurred, not not the January 2020 top, 2022 top. Uh, that would be like roll forward 18 months, gets us to like end of Q3, October, beginning of Q4. Always the dangerous time, right? Yeah, it's not a good date, is it? Hmm. I'm not optimistic. <laughs> I'm just not. You think uh, lower for longer? I think there's a. I think you gotta. I think if you want to like be fairly confident in the companies that you own performing moderately well, you got to have low valuations with buybacks. Ooh. I, I I think you're not. I, I think betting on liquidity support here is a tough bet. Uh, it will probably come back at some point, and some of these beaten up things will no doubt rip. But uh, you've been reading my July. I don't know how long I wrote it. <laughs> I have not. Okay. Yeah, I like cheap and buybacks. I I I know that it's sort of it's very it's very passe. Maybe it's becoming more maybe it's becoming more fashionable. But all of those long term, like. Schiller Cape, whatever. It doesn't matter which one you choose, Tobin's Q or uh, or Buffett's one. They all say we're very, very overvalued. But but, still. but the the yeah, still the 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 corollary to that overvaluation, if you prefer not to have those terms, is that it's just a lower return. 
like where you buy now, you have a return stream that comes out. That's a market level analysis. You know, it breaks down a little bit when you've got companies like Google and Microsoft and all those companies being top of the index because they earn so much on so little assets. Tell you what, FX is going to be a bitch this quarter. Mm. Like the dollar has been so strong. strong. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I don't know how it looks, but what looks like actual, uh, I mean, profit margins in a way. Yeah. I think I think some people I think I may be very surprised to see what comes back. Be like, oh, I, I knew multinationals were fun to own when yeah. things are stable, but now not so much. The dollar sucks. I need to be earning in other currencies. <laughs> That's right. Um, the weird thing has been that though we've had this sort of, it's been like Chinese water torture all year long. That sort of just drip drip lower, and but we still really haven't seen any fear. Like we haven't seen that. Value stock geek here says need the VIX over 30. Like that's kind of what I think. Like there's just no, there's no panic. There's been no blow up. We've seen lots of crypto blow ups. Crypto fear and greed was real low for a minute. We were at extreme fear for a while. Yeah, yeah. but we, we haven't had that Lehman moment yet. No. I don't know that we get there this time. Maybe. Call down the thunder, mate. Yeah. I, I kind of think it's inevitable. For- there's, there's, there's just strain underneath that you don't see until it kind of blows out. Yeah, so maybe. But crypto hedge fund three arrows, are those guys missing? No, crypto. If you've got the keys to those. Like if, What's if Chopstein you- thing? Chopstein knows more about crypto than we'll ever know. <laughs> I don't know if those, are those crypto blow, like what, what is it that makes, makes something systemic? Like it's weird to me that there's so much, the crypto seems to be like there's quite a lot of money in there and it's there's been three very high profile blobs and it's not nothing sort of. Well, I mean, wasn't that always kind of one of the question marks was how much cross correlation and cross ownership and cross leverage is baked into that whole pie? There must be some. Well, I think we're seeing that right. Like it, that's where contagion comes from is is counterparties not coming up with liquidity when you demand it. Usually there'd be some bank by now going down, but I guess the banks have sort of, because they were unable to get into it, they've sort of avoided it all. Yeah. Yeah. I think the banks are pretty safe. So where does it come from? The leverage. Keith Harmon says tether would be systemic. Yeah. The leverage, just general leverage. I mean, though, let's say that you're not like, let's say you're sort of the average person and you didn't get into crypto, which probably, I don't know what the percentage penetration is for the average populace of that bought some crypto, but let's say it really all wiped out. Let's say Tether went and does the average person even notice in their day-to-day life that went away? No. Does the average person notice what the stock market does though? Probably not. No, but they noticed. In 08, they knew. Everyone noticed that one. Housing for sure, yeah. Yeah. So on that basis, everybody's feeling pretty good, right? Because it's been a good 18 months for housing, at least. Yeah. I don't think you see as many uh, refis, you know, like he locks to spend. I I mean, you know, spending will slow. So 
can talk myself into the recession thing. I just don't know how bad it is. We'll see. You just told me the economy's ripping. I said it's pretty good. 40 minutes ago. <laughs> said it's pretty good. Pretty, Wage- pretty, pretty so, good. I'm not so going to say I mean, I'm not going to say a technical recession. We got a technical recession, didn't we? Like we two quarters of negative growth or whatever. The- I don't think we did yet. Have we haven't seen that? I thought we did. No. I thought we did get that. No, I don't think we have yet. I think we're working on it. <laughs> We've got our best minds on it. Yeah. yeah. We're going to figure out how to get it. All the dudes at the Fed trying to figure it out. Can't find a bubble. They're just like Googling soft landing. <laughs> hey, all these links go back to the Fed. Yeah. What does this mean? It's coming from inside the building. Yeah. <laughs> Circular reference, sir. Yeah. No recession in 2022. Um, what about well, an earnings recession? What is that going to mean for your stock, stock market? I think there's probably some earnings recession coming, either from the dollar or from the... You think it's here? I mean, I think the stock market is telling you it's coming. Yeah. People are going to be like, well, estimates haven't come down. Well, I think we've all been around long enough to know the sell sides later than the stock market. <laughs> yeah. Those guys have a, a tendency to change their price targets uh, a little after the horses left the bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those price targets are funny, aren't they? I don't. Does anyone, is that really. Can't anyone, look at the price target. Anyone drive off of that? Or is that literally just a total societal waste? I think, I think it's for people who are retail, who don't, who aren't paying any attention at all when they call their broker, why am I in this thing? And he can send them the price target written by the, the research, the eggheads in the back of the bank. Okay. This is what the smart guys think. It's just cover for sales material. Yeah. I think. And the higher it is relative to current price, the stronger the buy is. Who actually cares if the price target's accurate? The more likely you are to get underwriting. And, and yeah. I might be a little bit cynical about that. I, I know lots of guys sell side who, who do a really good job. Well, I think they do fantastic work when they're talking about describing the company and describing what's going on and all that. I think the price target stuff is. I, I don't know. Like Simeon Siegel, he was on my pod. And I think what he would argue is like he's taking a longer view and a price target's kind of like a short term thing. So I think he would maybe argue that it's like a duration mismatch between the information he's trying to convey and what a price target may force him to do. Gotcha. Makes sense. It's a charitable interpretation. <laughs> but. Um. We have to finish early today, folks. Unfortunately, um, for I gotta go get my kids from school. From, from Unfortunately school. for you, <laughs> yeah, the real so start a little bit late. But I think we're back on time at the same time next week. Um, sounds like Billy's off for a couple of weeks, so we'll we'll have uh, a third somebody somebody player to be named later <laughs> in loco parentis for uh, for Billy. A draft pick, a locum. Yep. <laughs> That's the bird call for somebody. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, see you next week. We'll be back at, this, at, the, at our usual time uh, on Tuesday. Hit, hit the button. Oh, boy. Yeah. Did, I, did I not? I did, right? Did it play? I don't know how to work this thing. We're so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Come back for more high-quality production next week. <laughs>